You're listening to Comedy Central. October 9th, 2018. From Comedy Central's World News Headquarters in New York, this is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. is here, everybody, and he's a fascinating guy. We'll be discussing his new book on professional football, or as I call it, reverse soccer. But first, <laughs> let's catch up on today's headlines. You know those crazy people you see in the streets shouting that the world is ending? Well, it turns out they're all actually climate scientists. A new report by the UN carries a stark warning. The world has little more than a decade to reduce the amount of carbon dioxide released into the atmosphere, or it may be too late to reverse the worst effects of climate change. All this will happen sooner than previously feared by the year 2030, the report says. The world is doomed in 12 years. You know, it's so bizarre that the Marvel movies have a better long-term plan than the Earth. Because they're like, okay, we'll have Black Panther 2, and then we'll have another Spider-Man movie. Uh, then the Earth will be over, and then Ant-Man 3 drops. <laughs> and you know what's sad? The sad part is we knew this was coming. Captain Planet told us. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't listen to the poor bastard. Past couple decades have been hard on him. Last anyone heard, he'd been arrested in New Mexico for robbing a gas station. Tough times. <laughs> Tough times. Moving on. The artist Banksy is getting a lot of attention this week for a piece that is either a rebuke of contemporary materialism or a cross-promotion with Office Max. Going once, going twice, gone forever. A painting by the mysterious artist Banksy shredded itself moments after it was sold at auction for $1.4 million. The piece, called Girl with Balloons, suddenly descended into a trick frame. Banksy later posted video on Instagram showing him making the frame himself. The auction house won't say whether the buyer has the option to cancel the purchase or if the artwork is actually more valuable now that it's in shreds. That's right. An elaborate hoax was successfully pulled off by me. I mean, Banksy. <laughs> but seriously, though, that was pretty cool. But I love how people are saying they feel bad for the buyer of the painting. I mean, that person had $1.4 million <laughs> to spend on a stencil drawing. They will be just fine. Okay, they'll be fine. I, I just hope that they kept the receipt. Then they'll be fine. Yeah. Then... No, Banksy, no! In other news, First Lady Melania Trump just got back from spending the last week in shitholes throughout Africa. And say what you want about Melania, but wherever she goes, she goes in style. Maybe too much style. New this morning, First Lady Melania Trump has returned to the U.S. after her trip to Africa. The trip focused on children and her anti-bullying campaign, Be Best. The First Lady once again criticized over her fashion choices, sporting a white pith helmet while on safari in Kenya Friday, a style associated with the painful colonial period of Africa. We, we just completed an amazing trip. I wish people would focus on what I do, not what I wear. Yeah, you know what? I agree with Melania. If she wants to dress like a smooth criminal, that's her business. <laughs> and people should be focusing more on what she does than on what she wears. And I'll be honest, I don't know what she actually does, but that's not the point. <laughs> the point is you should focus on it. 
Seriously though, I, I think it's cool that Melania chose Africa for her first solo trip, you know? The only thing that would make it cooler is if she did that thing where people pick up accents from the place they just traveled to. Like, I wish she got back to the White House with an African accent and Trump was like, how was the trip, Melania? And she was like, it was so much fun. <laughs> She's like, oh no! No! All right, let's move on to our main story. Brett Kavanaugh. Uh, don't boo, vote. <laughs> until recently... Until recently, Brett Kavanaugh was just some guy without an inside voice. But over the weekend, after weeks of controversy, soul-searching, and a national conversation about sexual assault, the Senate said, F- it, and made him the newest justice on the Supreme Court. Brett Kavanaugh will hear his first arguments this morning as the newest Supreme Court justice. Justice Brett Kavanaugh will take his seat as the ninth justice on the high court. He's gonna take his seat on the far right side of the bench. That's where the junior most justice sits. That's right, Brett Kavanaugh has officially taken his seat as the junior justice on the Supreme Court. And I'm gonna say, it must be so weird to be 53 years old and the most junior person in your job. Like the only two jobs where that happens are Supreme Court justice and Walmart greeter. You realize that's it. (laughs) Now, they don't allow cameras into the Supreme Court, but luckily, they have released some audio and courtroom sketches that gave us a glimpse into Kavanaugh's first day. The identification of the habitat is not just in terms of triggering uh, Section 7 of the, of the Act. I liked beer. I still like beer. So inspiring, man, so inspiring. Usually, when a Supreme Court justice is sworn in, It's a relatively low-profile thing in the middle of the day. You know, it's a small, intimate affair. But President Trump was like, I don't do small. I don't do intimate. I do affairs. I do affairs. (laughs) But when I have an affair, everybody knows it. (laughs) And so in a primetime televised event, President Trump took to the stage to congratulate his newest draft pick. It was a swearing-in fit for primetime. A dramatic entrance by the president and his Supreme Court pick. The other eight justices there looking on. The applause from supporters roaring. On behalf of our nation, I want to apologize to Brett and the entire Kavanaugh family for the terrible pain and suffering you have been forced to endure. You, sir, under historic Scrutiny were proven innocent. Proven innocent? Proven innocent? Okay, that's, that's obviously not what happened. <laughs> right? You can't just replace what actually happened with what you wish happened, Mr. President. He's like, Judge Kavanaugh was proven innocent after they found the real assaulter of Dr. Ford, Robert Mueller. What a twist, folks! <laughs> what a twist! So twisty. Now, Kavanaugh's confirmation process was a bitter partisan mess. And many people were wondering whether a confirmed Kavanaugh would make an impartial judge. Fortunately, the new justice believes bygones should be bygones. The Senate confirmation process was contentious and emotional. That process is over. My focus now is to be the best justice I can be. I take this office with gratitude and no bitterness. Every American can be assured that I'll be an independent and impartial justice devoted to equal justice under law. Ooh, Democrats, you going to jail? (laughs) No, because something tells me that this is a guy who doesn't forget, okay? (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, except for when it comes to his drinking, then he forgets everything. But I'm saying other things he does not forget. He will not forget. Because I mean, because I mean, he's saying nice things, but in the same way that a waiter is nice to picky customers, it's like, oh no, we can have this redone with slightly less mayo. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to do it, yeah. (laughs) So it's official, Brett Kavanaugh is now Justice Brett Kavanaugh, which is a major win for Cocaine Mitch and the GOP. (laughs) And by the looks of it, this whole Kavanaugh thing has Republicans fired up. A new poll finds that when it comes to voters saying that the midterms are very important, Republicans have been virtually able to erase the gap with Democrats. We're seeing what is being called the Brett bounce. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said earlier in the day that Kavanaugh's confirmation united the Republican base ahead of the midterm elections. What I think this has done for us is provide the kind of adrenaline shot that we had not been able to figure out how to achieve in any other way. That's right, can you feel the adrenaline? (laughs) Can you feel it? I I can feel the adrenaline (laughs) surging through me right now. Yeah, before I was like, but now, now I'm like, (laughs) So, if you are a Republican right now, you are living your best pro-life. But if you're not, things might seem pretty bleak right now because the newest member of a conservative majority on the Supreme Court just got a lifetime appointment. But there is a bright side. If that climate change report is right, a lifetime appointment might be shorter than we think. (laughs) We'll be right back. (laughs) Welcome back to The Daily Show. The midterm elections are in full swing. Today was the last day to register in many states, but don't worry, if you haven't registered yet, you can still vote illegally. Now, one thing we've come to expect around elections is celebrities getting involved. And these days, a celebrity voicing their political opinion is like climate change. It's happening every day, and most people ignore it. But there are still some celebrities who simply cannot be ignored. Kanye West at it again, sparking controversy on Twitter. Uh, The pro-Trump rapper posted a photo of him wearing a red Make America Great Again hat. He's the brave one, going out into liberal la-la land and getting (laughs) booed because he likes Trump. What I love about Kanye West is he has been blazing this trail, saying it's okay to think freely. Thank you, Kanye West, for standing up for what is right. Yes, the right has a new favorite rapper. So step aside, nobody. Yeah, that's a, that's a slot that's never been filled before. <laughs> so, Republicans have been celebrating the second coming of Jesus as one of their own. <laughs> but yesterday, Democrats said, uh, hey, Republicans, uh, I'm gonna let you finish, but we just got one of the best endorsements of all time. Taylor Swift got a huge response after announcing yesterday she's voting for Democrat Phil Bredesen over Republican Marsha Blackburn in the U.S. Senate race in Tennessee. The pop star has always made it a point of keeping silent on politics, but shocked her fans last night. Swift wrote, I always have and always will cast my vote based on which candidate will protect and fight for the human rights I believe we all deserve in this country. Wow. This, this is a big deal. Because you realize until now, Taylor Swift has stayed as far away from politics as she does from rhythm, right? (laughs) And no, like, don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. I love, I love Tay-Tay's music. But let's be honest, have you seen her dancing? Like, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. Here's the thing, 
Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift dances like she's making fun of how white people dance. That's how she dances. <laughs> and just like Kanye fired up Republicans, Taylor also seems to be having an impact. Her post apparently caused a huge surge in voter registration. So you can't deny that she has influence <laughs> with voters. You just can't. You can't deny that Taylor Swift has that influence. The same way you can't deny that while reputation might have lacked momentum and sales records of 1989, it's still an impressive brooding departure portraying Taylor as a woman coming into her own and solidifying her power and range as an artist. <laughs> or so I've been told. I mean, so I've been told. And I get it, I get it. If anyone can convince young people to vote, it's the woman who somehow got young people to buy physical CDs because she wasn't on Spotify. I mean, like, who even owns a CD player? Like, people were probably popping the distance of the toaster trying to play them. There was like... <laughs> and since Taylor has been so quiet about politics, uh, there was actually a theory in the alt-right community that was... that maybe she was secretly a pro-Trump conservative, right? But now, by endorsing a Democrat, she blew that theory up, which is news that the president took surprisingly well. What do you have to say to Taylor Swift now that she's in politics? Taylor Swift jumping into politics. What do you have to say to her? And what did she say? Let's say that I like Taylor's music about 25% less now, okay? That's, that's a weird way to express displeasure. That's, he likes her music 25% less? Like, what does that even mean? Is, is he now just gonna cut off 25% of his Taylor merchandise? Is that what he's gonna do? Oh, and by the way, I love, I love how Trump turned back when he heard Taylor Swift. You see that? <laughs> like, because he was leaving. He was leaving, right? And then he heard Taylor Swift, and he was like, what? <laughs> yeah, because normally reporters shout questions. He just keeps going. They're like, Mr. President, the United Nations global warming. Mr. President, your policy on Hezbollah. Mr. President, what do you think about Taylor Swift? He's like, what's that? <laughs> what's that? Taylor Swift. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I know all about this issue from my briefings that I read in United States Weekly. <laughs> and look, I know right now there are conservatives out there who are pro-Taylor Swift and are feeling conflicted at this moment because she has endorsed the Democrats. And to them, I say, if you're a real Taylor Swift fan, you know what you gotta do. <laughs> Shake it off. We'll be right back. Tonight is the chief national correspondent for the New York Times Magazine and best-selling author of the new book, Big Game, the NFL in Dangerous Times. Please welcome Mark Leibovich. <laughs> welcome back to the show. Great to be back. So great to have you back after such a long time. The last time you were here, it was when Hillary Clinton had just won the nomination. It was the night that she, yeah, we were in Philadelphia. And right. I think we were like, I think we probably said she didn't, she was gonna win, right? Right, everyone was like, she's gonna be president of the United States. Yeah. Brilliant political commentary. Uh -huh. That's why I turned to football. <laughs> yeah. um, it is quite a departure for you. you your, your work is synonymous with covering Washington. You are known to be deep in the swamp and reporting on what's happening. In many ways, the NFL is a swamp of its own. 
In many ways it is, and I actually wanted to take this on because I needed a break from politics because, you know, football affords you such a great and easy break from politics, right? <laughs> um, I mean, that was sort of the dirty little secret here. I mean, it's all a swamp, but, but you know, the NFL has gone from being one of the most unifying institutions in this country to probably the most divisive sports brand we have. One of the reasons is politics. Right, and you, you look at how, you know, Trump has been an influential person in, in shaping how, you know, politics is discussed in the NFL. In the book, what I, what I really enjoyed is you delve into subjects and, and, and people that we don't necessarily always engage with right. in a way that, you, you know, we're not used to. You speak to the owners. They gave you access that many people don't have access uh, to. You, I mean, you got drunk with one of the owners of the team on a bus, and, and like he that just is, told you things, which is great. He did. I mean, I, I was in no condition to hear them, but my tape recorder was working really, really well. <laughs> um, any fans of the Dallas Cowboys here, you should... I mean, yeah, it was Jerry Jones, the, right. the Dallas Cowboys. It was not one of my finest moments, but it actually makes for a pretty good chapter. I would have loved it if it was a drunk tape recorder. It was like, well, I was... <laughs> That's what it sounded like when I first like put on the, the sound. But what, would, anyway. what would you say is the most surprising thing that you learned from the NFL owners? Just how inept they are. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean that in the most respectful way, but I mean, these are billionaires, almost every single one of them. A lot of them just sort of lucked into their team, inherited the team, just sort of wound up with football teams. These are people who, who own probably the most, some of the most like powerful entertainment companies in their various markets. Uh -huh. and. I just found them to be kind of a motley crew, with a few exceptions. It's, it's, it's interesting that you say that because, you know, you see the NFL as this giant organization that is worth billions and billions of dollars. Right. All of the owners are billionaires. Right. Right. You have this club that in the book, I think one of the owners likened to a, uh, he said it was like a high school frat, what did he say? I think it was Steve Tisch, the um, co-owner of the New York Giants, called it junior high school for billionaires. Right. Which I think is, is probably a little bit unfair to junior high school students. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no. I mean, it is really, these are smaller than life characters, and yet they have outsized, I, I mean that, in the, I, mean, I mean that in a very respectful way, yet they have outsized influence on how we spend our Sundays and how we spend our tax dollars right. it, and it, so forth. I didn't, I didn't know some of the numbers that you talk about in this book. Is the NFL as predominantly white in its viewership as, as you say it is? It, it is by reader surveys and, and by viewer surveys. Yes, absolutely. And every single owner is white except for one. It's like, it's like 80% viewership. Is, is 70, um, 80%? It's pretty high. It, it's, right. I think it varies from between, you know, between 65 and maybe 80, depending right. on what survey you look at. But about maybe 75% of the players, the workforce, is African-American. Um, much of the fan base is predominantly Republican. It's traditionally been the most conservative sport. And, and it does create a dynamic of great imbalance, one between the owners who own it, the players who play it, and who are damaging themselves, you know, all likelihood uh -huh. in the long term, and not having guaranteed contracts, and the viewership that is predominantly conservative. When you look at the players who are, as you say, damaging themselves, there's been so many conflicting messages around this. You know, the NFL on one hand is saying, hey, we're doing our best to make the sport right. as safe as possible. Yeah. Other NFL owners, and you, you have some of this in the book, I won't give it all away, but they talk about how, hey, this is part and parcel. This is what the right. sport is about. People are gonna get hurt. Right. Where do you think they stand? And do you think that the NFL will survive what people now see the sport as? I, I think it's trying to change, I think. But, but mostly people look to football as an escape in some ways from, from the rules of society in some right. ways. And yet, I'm not one of these doomsayers that thinks that football is going to die like in you know 20 years. But the planet's going to end anyway. Right, right, so right. right. It'll be it gone by matter? then. It's all. Gonna... But but no. But I mean, there is. Look, football. I mean, Donald Trump before he even started going after Colin Kaepernick and going after the protests was talking about football as sort of 
a template for why America has gone soft. He said football has gone soft and America has gone soft. And, wow. and this was before, this was during his campaign. It was at a rally, I think, in Nevada. Oh, when he was saying you can't tackle anymore, and you he was saying like you can't, anymore. yes, and he was like yes. everything is a penalty, it's a penalty, it you can't, yeah. Political correctness had right, overtaken right, football, right, right, right. and penalty flags are like, you know, the PC police. And right. So, so, in some ways, I think a lot of the same tensions that have existed in football for many years have been, you know, mimicked in many ways by Donald Trump, and in a sense, it's inevitable that these reality shows would collide. Let me ask you this question before you leave. Judging from Donald Trump's history with the NFL and looking at how he was so desperate to be an owner of a team and how he fights with them now, do you think Donald Trump would be president of the United States if they had allowed him into the owner's club? Well, he could be owning the Buffalo Bills right now. So if he would have to trade, he would have to, I guess, be the owner of the Buffalo Bills, and the owner of the Buffalo Bills, Terry Pagula, would have to be president of the United States if he wanted an even-up trade. But, hey, it could, it could be like one of these great thought exercises where in 2014... We could say, you know, look, Buffalo Bills or White House. You got to choose. He, I think I know. I think I know what he's going with. I don't know what he'd do. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's wanted into this club for many, many decades. But. It's an exciting book, man. Uh, fascinating story. Thank you so much Thanks. for being on the show. Thanks for having me, Trevor. Really great. Big game is available now. If you love football, you want to read this. Mark Leibovich, everybody. Thank you very much. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and the Comedy Central app. Watch full episodes and videos at thedailyshow.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And subscribe to The Daily Show on YouTube for exclusive content and more. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.